Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better by balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com. Enter your sizes and your preferences, and you'll get a box of curated running goodies that you are sure to love. And if you don't, shoot, man. Put in a nice little envelope in there, self-address envelope, pop the stuff you don't like back in there, seal it up, and then their postman will just take it away. Easy as that. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And if you use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout, you'll save $10 on the $20 stylist fee. So you can't lose. Spring is around the corner, and they're coming out with a whole bunch of new stuff. So go check them out. I guarantee you'll like it. I guarantee it. I mean, it's not a money-back guarantee. I'm not offering you any money. But believe me, you're going to like it. Trust me. Anyway, so uh, in addition to that, also brought to you by Megaton Coffee. They've been sponsoring the show for a long time. I love these guys. They're also sponsoring a lot of athletes who've been on the show, like my last guest, Nicholas Deva. Also, Stephanie Flippin and athletes in a lot of other genres as well. Check out Megaton Coffee. They're doing great things and they're supporting great people. If you go to megatoncoffee.com, you can try out a pound or you can just set up for the monthly subscription plan. Get one, two, or four pounds per month sent to you. That's what I choose to do and I love it. So check them out. Again, use Rambling Runner 10 at checkout and you'll get um, a little deal for them as well. That's the that's the code, Rambling Runner 10 at Megaton and at Mercury Mile. So this episode uh is with Sherry Armitage. So wanna bring you this episode this week because of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Uh so Sherry is someone who has suffered and is currently in recovery from uh eating disorders as well as being a mental health professional and a mother of quadruplets who's also a marathoner and pushed these kids in races and is just an amazing, amazing person on a lot of different levels. And we take a deep dive into her experiences, not only uh, for, as a mental health professional, but as someone who has struggled with an eating disorder. And we dive right into exactly what may have caused it and going right through um Kind of the chronological story of her of her life as an athlete and as someone who has dealt with this. Uh, unfortunately, right near the end of the conversation, the audio just didn't. It basically just stopped working. I I can't tell you why it happened, but it did happen. So Sherry was kind enough. Basically, um, after my last question, which was how had how had um, her running career been affected. Or how had um, basically her running career been affected by the eating disorder? How did the eating disorder affect her running career? Uh, That's when the audio clicked out. We couldn't get to work again. So she was kind enough to then basically record her answer and send it to me. And then kept uh, a couple other tidbits of information in there as well. So the last 10 minutes or so is just Sherry. And in case you're wondering why, that's why. But again... More of the guest, less of the host is always the best way for this uh, podcast to work. So I, that will probably be the best 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> so I hope you like it. I'm sure you will. Here is my conversation with Sherry Armitage. Hello, Sherry, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. 
It's my pleasure. I was so excited when you just a week ago sent me a note that this was because I was unaware of it at the time. It was National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And you kind of shared me a quick bio of your background and experiences. And it was just it hit home for me immediately. It was like, yes, this is going to be a great guest. So first of all, Thanks for the for the love and for sending the note. And I've ever since you sent it, I've just been so excited for this conversation. Thank you. Yes, not many people know this week is Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and I just really want more people to be aware of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I say I'm really excited to have this conversation. Obviously, this isn't a topic that's going to be necessarily like one of those like super joyous podcast episodes that we have. We have some, yeah. that are, you know, very lighthearted and fun and you know that kind of thing. Again, um, you're a very lighthearted and fun person. I don't mean to say that, but the topic <laughs> obviously is a very serious one. And, and because of that, I, I was excited to address it because it's something that um, not only does it affect more people, than we may know because it probably affects people that haven't really kind of come out um, of their come kind of come out of the closet, so to speak in regards to their, their eating disorder. But it's also, as you put it in your email that even that, that once it's, you know, once you maybe be, once you're past the early stages of it, and I'm going to mess up some of the language here and, and feel free to correct me as we go, that you're, as you put it in recovery, as opposed to like, hey, I'm done with this, as if it's some sort of like virus. Right. Yeah. Everyone kind of has different, you know, views on that. And um, I kind of take the approach that we take with all mental health disorders and substance abuse disorders that, you know, it's always there, but you can kind of put it into remission like cancer. You always need to be aware that it can spring up and um, can bring back feelings and thoughts and behaviors. And so you just need to be aware of it. Um, so yeah, I say in recovery. So I think before we get going, let's just touch on your professional credentials just to set the stage for everybody um, in terms of people who are listening and getting a, a better understanding of where you're coming from when we talk about these topics. Right. So I have a master's in clinical mental health counseling, and I am a licensed professional counselor. Um, I've been in the field about seven years now. Right. And you've had your own personal struggles with eating disorders, and you're a runner, which is this is a Rambling Runner podcast, and you're a mother of quadruplets. So you're just tackling challenges all over the place. I mean, what else can life throw at me at this point? I mean, they could have given you five, right? I it, mean, they could, it could have. It could have, yeah. Right? Because, like, those moments where you're putting the kids to bed and you're like, good grief, could this get any worse? There could be another bed, Definitely. I guess. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I guess before we dive into um, some of the questions I just put out earlier today, an Instagram post basically saying, if you have any questions um, about this topic, you know, I'd love to, you know, feel free to share them. And I, I'm excited to, to bring them up to you during this show. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind sharing just your own history with, um, you know, with, with disordered eating and, and kind of how it kind of how it started for you, um, not only in terms of your awareness of it, but looking back um with uh you know hindsight's 2020 where you think the seeds started to get originally sown right yeah so 
it is kind of interesting when you add in hindsight. Um, let's see. So um, 13 years ago, I reached a point of complete and utter just desperation that I needed to get help. Um, I knew that I had an eating disorder, but looking back, oh my goodness, there are just so many things about my life that I'm like, oh, that was a precursor. That was a precursor. Um, um, there are kind of types that go into eating disorders. Um, there are like personal characteristics, you know, like perfectionist, um, perfectionist kids or kids that are really focused on, um, following the rules tend to lean more towards anorexia. Um, the risk takers, um, tend to lean more towards, um, bulimia type behavior. So I was your typical shy perfectionist straight A's, um, wanted to do good always type of person, um, never wanted to upset anyone. And so I think all just kind of manifested in that, um, I kind of the funny thing about, you know, the fact that I run and exercise now is that wasn't a real big part of my life when I was young. Um, I, I played softball. I wasn't real competitive with it. Um, and that was about it. I was really into academics. I was smart. Um, I was gifted in music. I played trumpet. I sang. I did one act play. That was kind of more my outlet. But looking back, um, I knew that I had lots of anxieties. Um, and over the years, that just kind of evolved. And um, I actually kind of gained weight when I hit puberty, which is common with girls. Um, but I also shot up in height. I'm five nine, And I felt like an ogre because I was taller than everyone, you know, and that's not really kind of the cool thing is being not, it's not really cool to be a tall girl when all the guys are shorter than you. And I think that really made me aware of my body as well. And it just developed into an eating disorder in, in high school, um, a full blown eating disorder. Um, just so to do lose you think weight. it was, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of rooted in, uh, body comparison? I think mine is more rooted in just that anxiety and kind of depression. Um, but because I didn't know what that was, it developed by body image because I felt that I looked different than other people. And I felt like I needed to be thin, you know, um, the nineties, you know, it was all about thin. I, th I think we've evolved a little bit in society and media and what we promote in body types. But definitely when I was in school, it was all about being skinny, not even healthy, but just skinny. And I wanted that. I thought that that would make me feel better. So you just mentioned that when I brought up body image, you immediately, I mean, uh, body comparison, you immediately went to, it was probably more of a depression, anxiety thing. So right. when you, you know, with your, with your um, mental health background, you look back at it now, what were some of the symptoms that you would, that you would attribute to yourself 
that would that you say were pointing in that direction, uh, even though, as you mentioned, that you weren't aware of what necessarily what depression was at that time? Um, let's see. Perfectionism. Um, rigidity. Um, I was very anxious in social situations. Um, I didn't like change. If major things were happening, uh, I would get um, anxiety about it. Like I liked things to be the same over and over and over again. Um, I think those are kind of some early signs that you can pick out in in children, you know, children don't really know, like, hey, I'm depressed, I'm sad. Um, but, you know, like the rigidity, um, the difficulty coping with change, um, you know, yes, tearfulness. Um, obviously, I was uh, more tearful, you know, if, if someone hurt my feelings or something, I was definitely would be tearful about it. Um, but I didn't really know how to voice that at the time. So what about your disordered eating um, was a coping mechanism for you um, in regards to your anxiety and depression? Because I could control it. Well, that's the misconception, right? We think that we are in control. It's just like someone who is on substances. Um, We think we're in control when really it is in control of us. So I thought, I can control what goes into my mouth. I can control how much I weigh. But it becomes all-consuming, and it takes control of you. But that gave me some, um, like some, I guess. There's a a really good um, book called Eating in the Light of the Moon. I often encourage that to clients, and it talks about how at some point in time, your eating disorder is your life raft, and you cling to it, and it helps you stay afloat until it doesn't anymore, at which point you have to find another life raft, a better coping skill, Um, and I think that's a really good analogy for it because it did help me get through the transition of graduating high school and going to college, you know, um, that was a huge transition. I'd always lived in the same town. I knew everyone, everyone knew me and now I'm going to college and there's all these, you know, new things associated with college and it's great, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know who I was and my eating disorder became who I was. It took up all my time and energy and thoughts. Um, And so in that way, it helped me transition until it didn't help me anymore and I had to get help for it. So what exactly, like how exactly did it manifest itself in your life? If you wouldn't mind describing exactly, you know, what was going on in terms of your eating habits and, you know, just your, 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 the timing of your eating and all of those things. Sure. So, um, initially it started as just, um, a diet. Um, and that's often how it starts with people, right? No one ever says, I want to develop an eating disorder. It was 
a diet. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm a little bit overweight. I could stand to lose weight. I'm going to lose weight. And so I cut out snacks. Um, not a huge deal. Um, and I lost weight and I got, um, you know, a lot of people noticed that and, you know, wow, you know, Sherry, like you got rid of your baby fat, you know, or, um, Sherry, you look good. And so then I was like, well, I can lose more. So then I just started cutting out meals altogether or certain foods altogether. Um, and I just kept restricting, um, Eventually, it got to a point where, oh, where it's hard to keep restricting, you know? You're tired. You're, all your energy is gone. You can't think. And so, or I would have to go somewhere where I'd have to eat with people. And so, that was when um, I occasionally would start purging or um, taking diuretics or taking laxatives because at that point, it was all about some number on a scale, you know, and that number just kept changing and changing, um, and nothing worked anymore. Right. And one thing that you brought up, which I was going to ask you about, um, was just the idea of how praise early on in this process, while I'm sure the people who praised you were completely well-meaning. Oh yeah, and, not, yeah. And, and, and you know had had your best intentions at heart, and were in your corner and rooting for you, and maybe even the most important people in your life were doing the praising. But it's interesting how that can sometimes help to turn a, a you know a, a, to, take, to take a good idea way 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 too far. It can, you know, and I know people meant well. I know no one meant anything negative by that. Um, and, but that's just the thing about any mental health disorder is that there is such distorted thinking and just irrational thinking. And I kind of took it as like, well, I'm good at this. You know, here I am. I found something else that I'm, I'm good at. I am good at losing weight, um, which is not really a good thing to be good at, I guess, if you think about it. Um, but like I said, you know, with everything else kind of going on in my life, it was just something that I could cling to at that moment um, and just kind of where I went. I could have gone in any direction, you know. Um, we actually have now um, placed eating disorders kind of in the same category as substance abuse disorders because both, I mean, they're so alike. Everything is so similar. And, you know, my joke always is that I could have easily gone towards alcohol or drugs, but I was the good girl, you know, I didn't do things that were wrong and dieting isn't wrong in this society. Right. Um, so you were more in like the pleaser mode. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of one of the big things to look out for and, um, in children and in adolescents and young adults, um, that type of thing. So comparing it or classifying it in the same tier or area as a substance abuse or things like that, does that mean there's a part of it that's related to like an addictive personality um, or some aspect of a, of some sort of like a hereditary or inborn, um, I guess, penchant for addiction? 
Yes. So we definitely believe that there are genetic components to mental health disorders. Eating disorders and substance abuse disorders are just a type of mental health disorder. So basically what that means is that somewhere in the brain, there are just some neurotransmitters that aren't working the way they should. So say your mom had depression. That means you're more likely to get depression or anxiety or a substance abuse disorder or an eating disorder because they're all just misfiring of neurotransmitters. Um, But there is something very interesting about eating disorders and substance abuse disorders is that both have this intense craving to do whatever it is that they do. And several years ago, we were able to see on brain studies that um, people who engaged in binging or purging lit up the same part of the brain that people, when they drink alcohol or use cocaine, it lit up the same area of the brain. And I remember talking with my supervisors at the time and saying, people who restrict get a high as well. And they so it lit up. The, so wait, hold on. It lit up the pleasure center. Of it the brain? does. It does. It lights up the pleasure center of the brain, whether you're using substances or binging or purging or restricting, it lights up that area of the brain. Wow. Yeah. That is news to me. Yeah. I like had this idea of the restriction being some sort of like willpower gone bad type thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like the almost like fear based, you know what I mean? Like I need to keep hiding this and you know, this, uh, I'm going to get found out like, like the imposter syndrome on steroids type feel. I had no idea. It was almost the exact opposite. Right. It, they all light up that sensory, um, that pleasure area of the brain and um if you ask anyone they'll say it is like a high it is a natural it is it is a high um and it's it's i mean anyone with an eating disorder will tell you that as well that that they get a high from it wow so when you take that and you combine it with the potential for someone to look superficially healthy at least on some level, if they have an eating disorder, right, they might lay, they may look thin and trim and fit. Again, I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but I'm just saying that you, if you combine those two things, it must make it even more addicting. That might not be the right word, but it, it seems like it would be it would be harder to stop if you can't even rationalize. Well, hey, you know, like. This, this might be giving me pleasure, but it obviously has these negative drawbacks if you're not experiencing the negative drawbacks. Right. And that's one of the hardest things because most people don't come in for help until it's caused physiological problems. And that's what happened to you. Absolutely. Yeah, I did. And um, 2005, I... Basically, looking back now, I think I was just blacking out, and um, I did end up in ICU, Um, and they told me it was my heart, um, and that my heart was basic. I could have had a heart attack. Um, All my nutrients were completely stripped, and I had to be given lots of IVs and fluids and nutrients to get my heart better. Um, and I thought at the time that that scared me enough 
that I could will myself to get better, right? Because that's scary, you know, 20 years old and told that I'm going to have a heart attack. But it wasn't enough because all these thoughts and behaviors were so, so much a part of me that I needed help to know how to stop. And that's why in February of 2006, um, I went in for treatment. Right. Okay. So when you were prior to that point, did you have any kind of internal contrasting feelings of like, this isn't working for me. I need to stop. And then just keep going back to that addictive pull of continuing it like or did you not have this push and pull happening internally I definitely had the push and pull I knew that what I was doing was not healthy I knew if if friends were doing it I would have told them to stop you know like I knew it wasn't good for me and it was a battle because I would say well I can stop when I want to stop I just don't want to stop you know or I'll, I'll stop restricting when I hit a certain weight or, you know, so I knew, but I didn't know how much control it had of me until that moment. Now, had anyone talked with you about what they thought might be going on? Oh, definitely. You know, and I think that that is why I was able to get the courage to get help is because I had so many people in my life um, who loved me and cared about me and would say things, you know, like, I'm concerned about you. Is there anything we can do to help? But, you know, this was also a time where treatment was just becoming a big hype. Um, and I was from a very small, small town in South Georgia. And, you know, I had convince myself that I couldn't have a mental health problem, you know, like this is not things that, that people from good families who are intelligent and hardworking have, you know, like we don't have problems, you know? And so that was kind of my struggle is because I felt like I should be able to beat this. You know, I should be able to handle this myself. Like I'm, I'm better than this. I know I'm better than this, but that's the thing about mental health disorders, eating disorders, is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you come from, how much money or how little money you have. It doesn't matter age, gender, sex. Nothing matters except for the mental health aspect. So you got to the point where you had pretty much, were you studying this at the time? So I was, um, let's see, I was in my junior college. So I was actually trying to go to school. I was, I had determined I was going to be a um, special education teacher, but I felt like that's not really what I want to do. So after I got treatment was when I, um, I kind of switched everything to psychology at that point and said, you know, this is really what interests me and and what I want to do. Gotcha. Yeah. I had, I had another woman on the podcast a few months ago who was a college runner and was suffering from eating disorder and was actually studying um, to be a dietitian. 
Yeah. And it was an interesting conversation because you know, yeah. she's sitting there. She knows, you know, it's obviously she wasn't studying mental health, but she was kind of coming at the same, you know, kind of the same topic, um, potentially just from a different angle. Right. And, you know, she said it was, you know, one of those things where, you know, obviously I don't know I can detail the whole conversation. You can go back and listen to it. I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it was, you know, a very interesting thing where this the self-awareness was there. But as you mentioned, self-awareness is not enough. Oh, no, not enough. You know what I mean? It's like knowing that there's a stain on your shirt doesn't make the stain go away. Exactly. Exactly. If you know, I'd save my lost self a lot of money if that was the case. You know, considering <laughs> what happened to me today. But uh, I digress. No, so so you were there. You were experiencing it. You got to the point where you had not necessarily self-diagnosed, but you had you knew that something was up and that you were trying to mitigate that factor. Were you saying, okay, I'm going to get over this, or did you view it as like I can manage this? You know, I think it was a little bit of both. I thought initially just get to a healthy weight, then it'll go away. Or, you know, um, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I just, um, my brain was so foggy. So when you're, when you have an eating disorder, I mean, as with any mental health disorder, it, it really challenges your ability to think rationally, you know? So I had completely just justified it because I was like, I don't meet all the criteria 100% of the time. And I thought as long as I didn't meet all the criteria 100% of the time, then I was okay. And I didn't, I wasn't worthy of help. I didn't deserve help. Um, kind of just a lot of, you know, thoughts all in that. But um, was that, was that the shame speaking? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Definitely. Lots of shame in eating disorders, substance abuse disorders, mental health disorders. Um, Because, again, you know, our society doesn't really do a good job at um, portraying mental health for for what it is and that mental health is everyday people. You know, it it doesn't make the person, but it sure can make the person a great person once they're, you know, getting some help and treatment for themselves. Um, Right. And even if even if there wasn't a stigma attached to getting help um, for any sort of mental health difficulty, um, you know, no matter where you are in that spectrum, even -hmm. if that was completely eliminated, just the fact that, you know, who doesn't enjoy a great comeback story and, you know, someone, you know, using their willpower, overcoming difficulty to succeed. Like just those stories can be so captivating and enjoyable. I've had a number of them on this show. Yeah. And I think that just the idea of doing that can be attractive. Even if there was no stigma attached to therapy or admitting mental illness or mental difficulty, which there certainly is. But even if there wasn't, even if there wasn't, it wouldn't necessarily completely eliminate the idea of like getting help. Right. At the most opportune time, as opposed to waiting until a much later date. Right. Yeah. So I have a couple questions here that I want to ask you now, simply because it's pretty much related to a lot of the things that we're currently talking about. So, okay. These are in no particular order. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm not springing these on Sherry. I did tell her before we started recording uh, what these questions were. So I'm not trying to ambush her in any way. All right. So um, 
This is uh, this is this is one. How can friends of someone who's struggling with an eating disorder support and help them? Um, so I think it's really important that your friend know that you're not judging them, that you come um, unconditionally, that you love them and that you want to help. And you know, just asking. I don't know what I can do to help you. What, what can I do that will help? That's obviously if the friend is actually getting help themselves or, you know, is aware that they have a problem. You know, if you have a friend who is in recovery or has, you know, let you know that they are struggling, just asking them, like, what can I do to help? Um, but, and because for everyone that's going to be different, one friend might want you to join them for meals. Um, Someone else might want you to help take their mind off of it after a meal. Um, someone might just need to talk to you um, random hours when they just have urges or cravings to do things that they know that they shouldn't do. And sometimes someone might just want to be able to sit with you in silence, but just know that another being that loves them is there. So ask the person, how can I best help you? I love you. I care about you. How can I help you? right and that can be tough to take like a a passive approach right because if you love someone you care for them you want to just kind of like take them by the shoulders and be like you know we're going to get help you know right. what i mean and right. you know and i think but it's hard because it's it, 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 you can't make someone want to change in okay. a way and okay. you don't want to push them away from you either right i think it's um you know one thing that helped me was I had people who had expressed concern and said, if you ever want to talk, let me know. Um, and I knew that they meant it. I knew that they were genuine about it. And so when I was finally ready, you know, those were the people that I kind of reached out to. Um, because you can tell when someone's not being genuine, you know, you can tell when someone really does care. So the, I remember that really was um, helpful to me is that people had expressed concern. They didn't harp, you know, they didn't yell, but they would just point out small things. You know, I saw that you did this, or I have a feeling that you're doing this, or I'm concerned about this. Left that conversation open when I was ready. That's a great way of putting it, that it left the conversation open. I like that. That, 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 seems, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you can really resonate. Um, all right, here's another one. Okay. How do you know where the line is? What's, where, what's health conscious versus obsessed? You know, that is the hard part. I think the, the key word in that is obsessed. Um, I get very, of people who are focused solely on, you know, a number or people who are very, very rigid in exactly what they eat, you know, people who never um, stray from uh, a meal plan, you know. Um, but I think the easiest way is when it is affecting their cognitive ability, like their ability to think, like obsessive thoughts, 
affecting them, you know, physically, when it's affecting them emotionally, that's when there's an issue. Um, and so for every person, that's a little bit different. You know, people ask me sometimes, well, you know, like, what was your breaking point? Well, it's interesting. My breaking point was that I moved away to college to finish my grad. And my eating disorder brain told me I could not take the bus between classes because I needed to walk to burn calories, but I wasn't eating enough food to fuel me to walk to classes. And so I was like late to a couple classes. And so I knew that I was going to get a B in that class and perfectionist over here has to make all A's freaked out that I'm going to flunk out of college. I realized that it was affecting my ability to function in class. And that is what eventually why I committed myself to a, to a treatment center because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't flunk out of college, you know? And that's kind of like silly when you think about it because I wasn't enough, you know, it was the fear that I was going to fail from college. And that was, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get help because I can't fail out of college because academic success had been such a defining point of me. Um, so, you know, if that was my breaking point at that moment, that was my breaking point and I'll take it. Everyone else has their own little breaking point. What the hope is that people don't have to get to that breaking point, you know, where their body's shutting down on them. So how did you approach your eating disorder as you started to pick up running? So... When I went into treatment, I met a girl in treatment who uh, was big into running and exercise. Obviously, she took it to a far extreme. That's why she was in treatment. But when we both got out, she called me and asked me to come run a 5K with her, which I thought would be kind of cool to support her and thought maybe it'll help me kind of cope with the anxieties of gaining weight and dealing with emotions that I didn't want to deal with. I went and ran this 5k and I loved it. And we just kept signing up for more 5ks. I even did a couple um, mini triathlons with her. Um, So that really helped me. Um, It became um, a moment for me to really reflect because as um, with anxiety or depression, any mental health issues, eating disorders, you tend to have lots of thoughts and your brain just doesn't want to stop. And I found that if I went running, my brain would stop and I could run and I could calm myself down. Um, you know, there's a lot of science behind that and the rhythmic of the your feet hitting the pavement and your breathing. Um, so it definitely helped with all that. And I found that I love it. Um, I didn't, I wasn't really healthy with it initially. Like I didn't know anything about cross training. I didn't know the importance of strength building and, and all of that. And so I did, um, end up tearing a meniscus, uh, while I was in grad school and having to have surgery on that. And I'm in grad school, I have to have surgery on my knee and I'm getting married and, um, that was interesting, um, but I learned how to cope 
without running. So that was also really helpful as well because I, I realized that I didn't have to run um, for my sanity, but running definitely did help my sanity. A couple other um, random things. Um, so when I got married and my husband and I decided that we wanted to start a family, we found that we were struggling with infertility, which was on my end. Um, early on, I had been told that I likely was not going to be able to have children because of my eating disorder. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, fears associated with that. And I started back running to just really cope again with the anxiety around wanting to get pregnant. And we did have to receive, um, fertility treatments and we were, um, blessed when we found out that I was pregnant with quadruplets, but that also meant that I had to stop running all over again. And because you can't run if you're pregnant with quadruplets. So I remember there was a lot of fear of once I have the babies, am I going to be able to get back into running? You know, a quadruplet pregnancy is very hard on the body. And there was a lot of fear of, am I going to relapse? Am I going to go back into my distorted thoughts and my eating disorder? And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to fall back into depression and anxiety. So um, I had the kids. They were premature. They spent a month in the hospital. Um, coming home with four premature infants is as crazy and um, exhausting, but also as enjoyable and just uh, incredible as you can imagine. Um, and as soon as I was able to go back to the gym, which initially was only like once a week or twice a week for an hour. I started going back to the gym and then I found a group that I could work out with. And again, I was like, I'm not going to be able to run with quadruplets. No one can run with quadruplets, but apparently they do make a stroller for that. And I ended up getting a stroller that the kids could all sit in. And so we have been running races with them. I've been running races, pushing them since they were about eight months old, um, six months adjusted, if you consider that they were two months premature. Um, and we just love it. And, you know, one thing I want people to understand is, you know, no matter what you're going through in life, um, you can find healthy ways to cope, um, Throughout these several, you know, this 13 years, I've really been able to work on coping and running and fitness are such big tools in my toolbox of coping skills because I have found a good balance with that. If you have an eating disorder or if you're a runner and you're concerned about your obsessive thoughts and you're concerned that this might be going down a rough road, seek help. Find a counselor. If if you need to, get in with a nutritionist. Get in with a trainer who can tell you what to do rather than you try to decide that for yourself because, you know, we're not always the best judges for what we need. Sometimes we need someone else to tell us. And so it's really helpful to me when I have um, running coaches or um fitness instructors who tell me what to do because then that takes the obsession away from me. I just do what they tell me to do. I have fun doing it. I'm healthy. I'm in shape. 
even after having quadruplets, I'm in better shape now than I've ever been in my life. And that is something amazing to say. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, there are professionals everywhere. There, on um, the National Eating Disorder Awareness website, there is a screening tool that can help you determine um, if you think you have a problem. And you can even find professionals in your area. I know one thing I wanted to touch on. You asked, um, like, when do we know that it's a problem, an obsession, versus just being healthy? When you start having negative consequences. So when you start hiding things, when you start lying, when you start justifying, when you start pulling away from people that you love and care about, when you stop doing other things that you previously enjoyed, like maybe you always um, went out with a certain group, but you don't anymore because it focuses around food, that could be a problem. Obviously, if you're not an elite athlete, you know, um, an Olympian or, you know, a pro athlete, probably shouldn't be exercising more than, you know, an hour a day. Um, that's not counting your long runs on the weekend. You know, if you need to get a long run, if you're an ultra runner or anything like that. But that doesn't need to be the everyday norm when it becomes that and you're even taking time off work or not focusing as much on work or not focusing on family as much then it might be a problem um there is a runner's high you know I said you know that restricting and binging and purging can light up that sensory area in the brain and running does as well you know I try to explain for clients who just have you know, depression or anxiety, that that can be a good thing for them. Or, you know, clients who are struggling with substance abuse problems, that can be a good thing for them to get that runner's high. For somebody with an eating disorder, we have to be pretty cautious with that. You know, we don't want that to get out of control as well. Um, We don't want them to be so focused on getting that runner's high that they're wasting away or that they're having negative consequences in other areas of their lives. If you think you do have an eating disorder, it's really important that you take a treatment team approach. And what I mean by that is that um, you have a counselor for the mental health aspect, that you have a physician for the medical side of it and possibly, you know, medications if you need them. And you also likely will need a nutritionist to help you learn how to eat again and who can really monitor the nutrition side of it. Um, you could also add in a psychiatrist for medication. Um, and obviously, if you're an athlete, if you need to add in a trainer who can teach you healthier um, healthier guidelines for how to work out um, for your body. You know, eating disorders are real. They don't care who you are. They're out there. They affect people. They destroy lives. People are dying from eating disorders. People are dying from mental health disorders. Eating disorders have the highest rate of mortality. Um, And that's because of the medical aspect that is so difficult in treating eating disorders. But also because the suicide rate for eating disorders 
is extremely high. And so I really just want people to be aware of what this week is and to not be afraid to ask for help and not be afraid to reach out to people that they may think are struggling because you could be the one that helps save that person's life. Um, You can change their route altogether just by asking them, hey, do you want to talk? You know, or I'm concerned about you Um, because recovery is possible. Thank you so much, Sherry, for coming on this episode on the Rambling Runner podcast, searching on a topic that affects so many people, either directly or someone that you may know and love may be affected by this now or maybe sometime in the future. And it's nice to have this information at the ready uh, in case it does come up. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for you know putting together the last 10 minutes or so and sending it to me. I know it was worthwhile and I really appreciate it. Also, big ups to Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee for sponsoring this episode. Uh, in the last bit there, you heard Sherry talk about getting people to work with you, uh, how important it can be. If you are looking for a coach, check out lowellrunning.com. That's L-O-W-E-L-L running.com. A wonderful collection of high-level running coaches uh, that I am privileged to be a part of. Thank you so much for letting me be, be a part of the roster. It's just a great group of people who care so much about athletes, hoping that they will help them achieve the highest level of success possible. Just a bunch of caring individuals. And if you want to be a part of that, check them out at lolrunning.com. Thank you to everybody who shares the episode, uh, who reviews the episode, and who passes it along to other people. I can't tell you how much it means to me. So thank you so much. And happy running.